Today's reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 46 through to 55. This is on page 969 of the Church Bibles, page 969. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Here ends the reading. Please do, please do. So thank you, Bill, for uh, talking on this. And um, let's just pray for you now. Mm. Lord, we thank you for this incredible story and uh, this incredible encounter. And we pray for Bill now that he would open this up to us with new eyes and new ears and that we would Mm. open our hearts to hear from you this morning and pray your blessing on him and all that he's prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There are many ways, don't you agree, that uh, Christianity actually makes a fairly rotten uh, state religion. The reason I say that is because If you want truth, Jesus is truth, that's great. But if you want something which will just make the rich and powerful feel comfortable and will give a religious veneer to keeping everything nice and cosy, Christianity is not good at that. It's not good. Because if forever undermines the comfortable. (laughs) It keeps on siding with the outsider. (laughs) Keeps on challenging us that it is the most vulnerable, the most humble, who are at the heart of what God is doing. Not necessarily the people on the thrones and in the places seemingly of great importance. Most religions of the ancient Near East and of the Mediterranean world at the times when the Bible was being uh, written, most of them actually bolstered (laughs) the king, bolstered the powerful, giving them sometimes divine or semi-divine status. But you can't actually read this book 
and think, well, this book is all about just supporting the power of the king, come what may. There's far more monarchs in this book who are told basically to shape up than those who are told you're getting it right. And even those who are getting it right are told you're getting it right some of the time. (laughs) And Mary, in some ways, and her song stands in that tradition of actually not making the rich and comfortable very comfortable, the rich and powerful very comfortable. In the Jewish scriptures, again and again, kings and those in power are rebuked. They're rebuked from a number of things. Idolatry is right up there, but alongside that, It might be second to idolatry in the list of things, but I think the way the poor and vulnerable are treated again and again is seen as important. I don't know if you remember a story told in the uh, Old Testament, a story of a king uh, called Ahab. He had a famous wife too called Jezebel, and uh, the two of them decided that Um, They wanted to extend the palace garden, basically. And uh, they wanted basically to do a compulsory purchase order on uh, Naboth's vineyard. But uh, this chap Naboth wouldn't sell up. And they, not the first time... uh, a king of Israel had done this for their own convenience, had arranged for the murder of and the death of said person at arm's length from them. But Elijah comes and says, to Ahab, you can't just annex people's property like that. But I'm the king. But you can't just treat people like that. I once read an incredibly powerful sermon on that particular subject. It was very powerful, partly because of its context. It was a sermon delivered by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I'm not sure he was Archbishop at this particular time, but he preached on this um, as the bulldozers were about to come in to flatten a shanty town uh, where poor black communities had made homes for the sake of the powerful white minority within apartheid South Africa. The Bible is full of passages which will often give heart to those who are on the margins, but those who are at the centre and currently rich and powerful 
often it's challenging stuff. Mary stands in this tradition. The rich are sent away empty, but the hungry are filled. God raises up the humble, but brings down the proud. Now, this is not a, uh, a kind of political uh, manifesto, but it is political. It is, does involve economics. But, but when Mary sings this, she's not so much singing about this is what you should do. She's saying this is what God is doing. This is God, what God will do. God is on the move. He's at it again. He's doing his age-old thing. He's keeping his promises. He's humbling the powerful. He's raising the weak. Standing in the Exodus tradition, the God who frees slaves and keeps his promise in doing so. Standing in the prophetic tradition of standing up for those on the margins. The tradition also of Hannah, who sang a song where I think this is a kind of Mary's cover version of, of that in some ways. It, it's her rewriting of, of Hannah's song when she became the mother of Samuel. And if you go and look at that song, it's about God raising up the humble, but also about him bringing down the powerful, God twisting everything around. We sometimes talk about an upside-down kingdom, that God is involved in an upside-down kingdom, turning things on their heads. And Mary, Mary sings part of that upside-down kingdom stuff. She says that God is using her to fulfill his purposes, to keep his promises. She says that, that he's doing it in ways which will cause future generations to call her blessed. Even though I think in her own generation, people probably called her things less than uh, blessed when they started counting on their fingers the number of months she'd been married when Jesus arrived. Hmm. But she rejoices anyway. In the here and now, confident that God is at work, he's got the future sorted, and he is raising up humble, the humble and bringing the powerful down. Both for her and for the wider world in a way which is fulfilling his promises which have been made centuries before. And one of the things which struck me, it particularly just struck me this morning, it didn't strike me earlier when I was preparing really what I was writing, but it struck me this morning as I was reading through again how deeply personal this is and yet how deeply 
global, even eternal, what she's writing about is. And I think our walk with God, our walk with God should involve those, those poles, if you like. I think our walk with God, our, our relationship with God should always be deeply personal, deeply personal, but never narrowly individual. Deeply personal, but rooted in something God's action through the generations and across the world, keeping his promises. In Jesus, the world is turned upside down. That's good news for the poor, for the blind, for the oppressed. But it's sometimes difficult news to swallow for the religious and political leaders. Not such good news, maybe, with people who are comfortable with the way things are. Because actually Jesus upsets the apple cart. He upsets the apple cart. And makes life better. But not necessarily more comfortable. For people who are privileged and powerful like me, maybe like you. Globally, we are, most of us. We're rich by most historical terms. We're rich, we're powerful. We, we need to hear God's concern for those who are on the margins. Echoes to the Old Testament. It is spoken by Mary. It continues in Jesus and should continue among the people of Jesus. I think there is a way in which the Christian gospel just fits more comfortably among those who have little than those who have much. It sits actually more comfortably with those who don't have a lot of power than with those who are powerful. It comes to us all. It's for us all. But as I look at the church, I think it often smells most like Jesus when it's on the margins. Most like Jesus among the poorest. Because the rich and powerful, and, and we must include ourselves in this, I think, often want to tame the message of the gospel at times so that it doesn't turn us upside down too much. Will we tame the gospel or will the gospel tame us? Mary sings that God is on the move. It's about what God is doing, about what he is doing in her life and in the wider world. I mentioned Desmond Tutu and a, a sermon which I read of his. Back in 1987, I was a student at the University of Durham and Desmond Tutu was being made a, uh, given the freedom of the city of Durham. And I went to, uh, to see him 
This was while apartheid regime was still powerful in South Africa, still in control. I went to see him on the balcony of the town hall. But, but that evening, I went to hear him preach at the cathedral. And I did not know at that stage whether I was going to be listening to a bishop, as it were, or whether I was going to be listening to a politician in a dog collar. And I went to hear this man. And I will always remember something he said, because it's about God being on the move. He said this, among other things. He said that he'd been traveling in California and he'd met a nun there. And she had told him that as she prayed at 4 a.m. every day, at those prayers, she always remembered him and prayed for him by name. And then from the pulpit, he said one of the most extraordinary things. He just said, there is a nun in California who prays for me by name every day at 4 a.m. He says, what chance did the South African government stand? I thought, this is not a politician in a dog collar. This is a man of God who recognises that God will not allow unjust structures to last forever. They do sometimes last desperately long. But he's about turning things upside down. So Mary recognises that God is on the move. That he is in the business of raising up the humble, bringing down the powerful. That he is involved in her life in ways which are huge for everyone else. He's being faithful to his promises, to his saving purposes. And we, can throw ourselves into God's activity. Because we can know that when we throw ourselves into God's activity, we're on the winning side. Doesn't mean that we will be unscathed. Mary was far from unscathed. Doesn't mean we avoid pain. Mary was far from avoiding pain in her purposes, in God's purposes in her life. But we win. The upside down kingdom wins. But actually, I've called us rich and powerful. It, maybe in some ways we are, but also in other ways we're nobodies. <laughs> and yet we're raised up. Got nothing to bring. And yet he cares for us. He uses his people, people, ordinary, humble people in extraordinary ways for his global, eternal purposes. True for Mary, but also true for us when we stand in what the stream of what God is doing, he chooses to use feeble people 
like you and me. In changing the world. Let's listen again to the words which Mary sang or said. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Amen.